can take your seats. Good morning. Happy New Year. How you guys doing today? You guys sounded good, man. Sounded good, good, good. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. How's everybody doing today? Man, it is so good to see you guys. People are like, oh, you're speaking today? It's a holiday weekend. I, I didn't think you were speaking. Yes, I'm speaking today. Uh, I didn't get the day off. Hey, uh, a couple weeks ago, I introduced you to our 2024 initiative. And um, you can pull it. It's in your bulletins. This morning, if you go to newhopeeastlake.com on the front page of our website, there's a little tab at the top that says 2024 initiative, or you can just click on the give tab, and it has all kinds of information of things that we're wanting to do for this next year. Now, there's a difference between extravagance and excellence, and we want to bring our facility up to an excellent standard. And this place is great, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done in a lot of the rooms. Not to mention the fact one of the things that God has really impressed upon us is to do some incredible work in the Dominican Republic. There's a community called Pedernales, and they are a forgotten people. They're right on the Haitian border. They um, a high, very high illiteracy rate, uh, almost no health care. Their water source is this little PVC pipe that comes out of the ground. Nora and I have been there, and we've seen it. Um, uh, just, it's it's a, a really dire situation. And one of the things that we were doing is we wanted to partner with Children of the Nations, who's been in the Dominican Republic for over 30 years in Badajona. They've been there 30-plus years, and they do incredible work. We want to help start a school, a learning center in Pedernales. And we want to bring health care to Pedernales. We want to bring... God's word to Pedernales. We want to bring uh, uh, food and fresh water, clean water that the community can drink in Pedernales. And it's a huge undertaking. We want to send teams to the Dominican soon. Um, and so uh, we are including that in this initiative where we want to raise $235,000 next year over and above your tithes and offerings, not, 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 we can't have our budget sink because we're giving to this. This is over and above. Some of you are able to do it, some of you can't, and it's, that's fine. And so, um, but one of the things is that God has already done a miracle. I had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with a few people, generous people that want to remain anonymous here at New Hope, that are saying, we will match up to $50,000 for this project. $50,000. Yes, clap, amen, praise God, hallelujah, whatever you want to do. That is a huge blessing. That's a huge blessing. And the first 50,000, we're putting in Pedernales. It's not all just about us at New Hope. There are things that need to be done for your kids, for your teenagers, for adults here at church. But one of the things we're doing, the first 50 grand, we're going to help start this school in this community in the Dominican. So huge blessing. And so if you want to give to this, and I know you're saying, you know, I have so much leftover money after Christmas. I just, I'm just like rolling in the dough after Christmas, Pastor Rick. Uh, hey, I understand that. But anyways, those of you that need a tax write-off before tonight at midnight, boom, right? So uh, anyways, be praying about this. Um, uh, be praying about that. Um, it's really going to be an exciting project. I'm excited for a lot of the things that are going to be taking place. So, um, we are beginning a series next week. Today's kind of a little bit of a preview called This Is My Bible. If 
I were looking for a church, if I moved, if I was new in a community, if I, you know, decided, oh, you know, I think I'm going to start taking my family. If I were looking for a church, what I would look for, this is me, I wouldn't look for the biggest, best buildings. I wouldn't look for the coolest pastor. I wouldn't look for the best kids program, the best youth program. What I would look for is a church that opens this book every single week. That's what I would look for. And I, you guys know several years, it's been several now, but I, I had about five years where I was not working at a church. And so I was looking for a church for my kids and I. And, um, and believe it or not, it's a little more difficult than what you think to find a church that teaches the Bible. I'm not talking about using one verse and then the rest of it is just motivational speaking. I'm talking about a church that opens up God's Word and teaches through sections or books of God's Word, books of the Bible, or sections of Scripture, not just one verse here and there. Does that make sense? And, and it's not as easy as you think to find a church that actually opens up God's Word and teaches through God's Word. I'm not trashing other churches saying we're better. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I take great pride, and we as a church, and I hope you appreciate it, I, I, I hope it's important to you, that, that when we teach, we teach through sections of Scripture or books of the Bible. Um, it's important. And, um, and that's what I would look for. I would look for a church that teaches God's Word. So a few months ago, uh, probably midway through the year, um, I was out jogging. I, I jog Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I used to jog every day, but I'm getting older, so I have to tone it down a little bit. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I, I was out jogging. I love to jog. It's cathartic. I've done it most of my adult life. I, I, I love it. I enjoy it. God speaks to me when I'm outside and, and I'm running, and, and uh, I love it. And I, really, I, I, I was thinking about next year. This is midway through la this past year, and and I was just thinking, okay, what are we going to do next year? I was thinking about my teaching schedule and, and kind of what, what I was going to teach next year because I had, I had the rest of the year planned out for, for this year. And, and, and I really felt the Lord. I, I don't know how I can describe it other than I really felt the Lord impress upon me, the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I want you and new. I want you to get into God's word like never before. And I had this thought came in my head of, of, of teaching through the entire Bible next year. And I was like, well, how am I going to go verse by verse? That would take me years. And, and so I kind of thought about, you know, you know, what if I did an overview, like a mountaintop view of every book of the Bible? And I began reading statistics of, 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 of how many times church-going Christian people read God's Word. And the statistics are alarming. It tells us, statistics tell us, polls tell us, that everyday God-fearing, God-loving, church-going Christians, the vast majority, read their Bibles less than four times a year. Not a week, not a month, a year. The vast majority of us read the Bible less than four times a year. And I got to thinking about that, and 
I get it. I know why. A lot of people, they have a hard time. They say, I don't get it. The Bible doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what this is about. Like, how is Leviticus relevant to my life? All these, what about all these, like, begot and so-and-so begot? Like, what is all that? That makes no sense to me. A lot of people, a lot of us, we don't read our Bibles because we don't want to be close to God or because we don't want to read. We don't read our Bibles because we don't get it. It doesn't make sense to us. We're just reading and it just, we don't get it. It, it. It's not sticking. And so I really felt a great burden to let's go through every book of the Bible next year. Every single book. A different book every single week. Now, obviously, we're not going to go verse by verse. We don't have time to do that right now. But we're going to do like a mountaintop view. Who are the main players in this book? Why was it written? How is it relevant to, to my life? What are some key verses? What are some key stories? Who are some key players? Why is this important in my life? Why is it relevant? Why, why is the book of Leviticus relevant in my life? Why is the book of Numbers relevant in my life? And so, and, and so that's what we're going to do. A different book every single week. Every week we're going to have this mountaintop view. We developed a website called thisismybible.io. And so when I started thinking about this, I brought this to our staff. And our staff, we've been praying about it for several months. And we're like, let's do this. And so this is what we did. Because I worried about this series becoming redundant through the whole year. This is my Bible. We're going to hear this all year. So what we did was we broke the Bible up into seven mini-series. Does that make sense? So I broke the Bible. We broke the Bible up into seven different sections. And we're doing series within a series. Does that make sense? For example, next week we're beginning Genesis. So there's the first section of, of the Bible that every Jew would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. So we're going to do a series beginning next week with a book of Genesis. This series will be called Foundations. It'll be a five-week series, and it'll go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's called the Torah, or the books of the law. And so it's the foundation for everything that we have through the rest of the Bible. So we're going to spend five weeks in that. And so we broke the Bible up into these seven mini-series um, that we're going to teach within this series. There's a few things that I want you to do as a part of this series. Number one is, I want you to bring your Bible to church every single Sunday. A physical Bible. Now, the Lord... I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking what God has put on my heart. About midway through the year, last year, I realized that the majority of time that I preach on Sunday morning, I'm using this as my Bible. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong. I was using this in my office. I was using this at home to do my Bible study. Now, this is what happened to me. Okay, Again, nothing wrong with it. I'm just telling you what happened to me. When I would be reading God's Word, what would happen is I'd get a text. And another text. And another text. And then I get, oh, somebody liked my story. Who liked my story? Who commented on my story? And I'm doing that. And then I'm like, my fantasy team. Oh, he scored. Yes. All. And so I've spent 30 minutes on this when I was supposed to be doing my Bible reading time. And I've spent about 30 seconds in actually reading the Bible and the rest of my time doing all of that other stuff. Does that make sense? That's me. That's what happened to me. And so... I felt the Lord really impressing on me, like, open the book. Get in 
the book. When you preach, and I don't know if you noticed, but the last half of this year, I've brought this thing up here, or one of my Bibles, every single Sunday, and I quit using this. I'm using my Bible. I want you to bring a Bible every single week to church, because during that time when God began to put that on my heart about me, I, I was undercover spy, and I was out there when I was saying hi to everybody, and I'm like, how many people at New Hope bring their Bibles to church? I just wanted to ask. You know, I'm the pastor of the church. I'm the leader of the church. How many people actually bring their Bible to the church that I pastor? And again, I'm not saying this is wrong. A lot of us use this. We use the iPad. I get it. But very few people bring their Bibles to church. And I'm kind of a, well, I don't want to get into that, government conspiracy kind of thing. But hey, if they can kick who they want off Facebook, and they can kick who they want off Twitter, and they can tell you what you can and can't post on Instagram, is, could there be a time when they say you can no longer download the Bible app? You can no longer access the Bible app. And if we no longer have physical Bibles, we don't use them anymore. We don't know where they're at. They're by the wayside. What do we do? And so bring a Bible to church every Sunday. Bring your Bible every Sunday. If you don't have one, we have them for sale beginning today. And we're not making money off them. We're selling them for what we bought them for, okay? And a matter of fact, we'll probably lose money on because we'll probably give a lot of them away. If you need one and you don't have the money, I think they're 8 or $9 or something, we'll, we'll give you one. Okay, they're out at guest services. Bring your Bible to church every single week. Number two, the second thing I'm asking you to do is read your Bible every day. Every single day day. The statistics are overwhelming what happens when we get into God's Word, and I'll give you some of those here in a few minutes. Every day, even if it's one verse, one verse, getting God's Word every single day. In the Bible app, by the way, you know they can send you, you can set it up where they can send you a verse a day, and you'd be surprised at what it does for your life when you're in the Word every day. The third thing that I want to ask you to do, and, and I understand not everybody can do this, but for some of you, you can, and this is going to be a challenge for you. Read through the entire Bible in a year. We have developed a plan that goes along with this series. Go to thisismybible.io. Pastor Daniel put together an awesome plan under um, reading plan, on thisismybible.io, you can download that, you can screenshot it, you can print it off if you would like, you can reference it on your computer, on your phone, your iPad, whatever, and it is a one-year reading plan that goes along with my teaching series through the whole year. So read the Bible in a year. Some of you can do that, some of you can't. Also, another thing that we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing podcasts, we're going to be doing daily devotions. Our staff's going to be doing daily devotions on that specific book that I'm teaching on that week. And so you can subscribe to all of our social media. There'll be stuff like that. And then another thing we're doing on Wednesday nights, beginning January 17th, I'm going to teach on Wednesday night at 6.30 a class that'll go through the whole year called The Bible Study. And it goes through every book of the Bible all year. What's incredible is that every Wednesday we have modified our youth program, our kids ministry, and so there's built-in child care on Wednesday nights at 6.30. This will be every other Wednesday, every other week. It's not every week. You have a lot of homework. You'll do most of it at home. But we'll meet together every Wednesday here at 6.30. If you're in a life group, stay in your life group. If you're not in a life group, 
I would really encourage you to come to this. It'll be every, it, there's three six-week sessions that meet every other week for six weeks, and then you take a month off. You still do this at home, but we take a month off for meeting, six weeks, every other week, take a month off, six weeks, every other week, take a month off. So um, this is going to begin. You can start signing up for that. I think next week we'll have all the signups for it. And life groups will be, we'll be signing up for, for life groups as well. So, all right, so that's next year. Now today, I want to talk to you about the power of God's word in my life. Why God's word, why this is so important, what we're doing, and why it's so important for you to be in God's word. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So Timothy is like an understudy. Timothy is a young preacher. He's an apprentice to the great apostle Paul. And Paul is like pouring all this wisdom in him. Paul is like passing the reins over to this younger guy. And so this is, that's who Timothy is. And Paul says something really interesting. He's giving, them all this, giving him all this instruction, all this. Remember, he's going to pass a baton. Timothy's the next leader, right? And, and so this is what Paul says. 2 Timothy, it's in your New Testament toward the back. In verse 10, this is what he says. But you know what I teach. This is Paul talking to T T Timothy. And how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and how long I have suffered. You know my love and my patient endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. Yeah, he would have witnessed this. Paul, there's a reason why Paul went on three missionary journeys. is because on a lot of the places he went, the first two, he was kicked out. He was beaten. He couldn't finish. He was rejected. And so Paul didn't quit. He kept going back. And in many of those cities, he went back numerous times to try to plant churches there and to spread the gospel. He says, you know all about how I've been persecuted in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, where he was literally stoned and left for dead. But the Lord delivered me from all of it. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. Why? Because there's no resistance. They will, be, they will go on deceiving others, and they themselves will be deceived. But Timothy, you must remain faithful. Don't follow these imposters. You must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Timothy, all those people that God has put in your life, like me, They've poured into you, and you know that our motives are pure. We've suffered for the gospel. You can trust us. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. This would have been primarily the Old Testament, right? And they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture... All of it, Old Testament, New Testament, all Scripture, we'll talk about this here in a minute, is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. How many of you have ever needed straightening out? Come on. Yeah. And it teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way to be fully equipped for every good thing that God wants to do in us. Us. According to recent studies of over 40,000 participants who read the Bible at least four times a week, 
Now, in these studies, they noticed a small change when we read the Bible once or twice a week. A little more of a change when we read the Bible three times a week. The biggest difference was when you read it at least four times a week. When you're in God's Word at least four times a week, they found significant changes in their lives. They found that those who were struggling with feeling lonely, that was down 30% when they read God's Word four more times a week. People that struggled with anger and had anger issues, that was down 32%. People that had bitterness in relationships or marriage or, or relationships, that was down 40%. People that struggled with addiction, when they were in God's Word at least four times a week, down 57%. People that struggled with immorality and pornography, down 68% when we're in God's Word at least four times a week. People that feel spiritually stagnant or plateaued, that was down 60%. People that struggle with anxiety and depression, those statistics went way down when they were in God's Word at least four times a week. And it also gives us power and strength because they found the opposite as well. People that were in God's Word at least four times a week, they shared their faith, the percentage of those shared their faith was up 200%. Those that mentored and discipled others was up 230% when we're in God's word. Paul told T Timothy that from childhood you've known the sacred scriptures, the holy scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So why is the Bible important to my life? Number one, it gives us wisdom. Wisdom is different than information right? The Bible is a history book. It is packed with information. But there's a spiritual dynamic to God's Word as well. It gives us wisdom. Wisdom is different than education. Wisdom is different than book knowledge. Wisdom comes from God. The genesis, the beginning of wisdom is from God. Wisdom is more about spiritual insight, spiritual direction in our lives. And true wisdom only comes from God. It's different from making, oh, okay, I made an educated decision. It's different from that. How many of us have ever w wondered, okay, I know what I probably should do, but what is God's will? How many of you ever asked that? I want to do what God wants me to do because Lord knows I've made my own choices and those haven't always worked out. I want to do what God wants. God, give me wisdom. The Bible tells us that if any of us lacks it, to ask, and God will give it to us liberally. James tells us that. Wisdom. The, the Bible gives us wisdom. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So when we don't want wisdom from God, when we say, you know what, I got this, God. I can handle it. I can take care of it. I know what I should do. The Bible says fools despise wisdom. They think they got it themselves. Proverbs also tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the very beginning of wisdom. Have you ever felt in your life like, all right, I'm happy, but like, I know God's got something greater for me. Like, I know God has a purpose and a plan, and, and I'm happy, and things are going okay, and I love my family, and I love my job, and I, but I just feel like there's something more. Anybody ever felt like that? 
I, I, I know God's got, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it, but I know God has some kind of purpose or will beyond what's going on right now. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah, we all have probably. Well, where do we get this direction? Where do we find out what that is? God's word. In God's word. Number two. The Bible leads us to salvation. God's word lays out the plan of salvation. The Bible leads us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about this here in in, in just a minute. The Bible leads us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Turn, Turn, if you will, back a few books to the book of Romans. So it's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Because the Bible tells us exactly what Jesus did for us. It leads us to relationship with Jesus Christ. And, what the, and what, um, what's being told here is what Adam did brought sin into the world. What Jesus did brought redemption. Look at verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. In other words, there was no sin up until Adam and Eve, right? Adam made that decision, and sin covered the world, right? Matter of fact, aging didn't happen until that time. Once sin, death entered into the world, it began the aging process of things in in our world. Adam's sin brought death, that's that aging process, and spiritual separation from God. So death spread to everyone because everyone has sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. In other words, we didn't need the law to tell us, you know, that things were not right. And, and, and though there was no law to break, since it had not yet been given, they all died anyway. Even though they did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did, what a contrast between Adam and Christ, who was yet to come. And what a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. But just as the other, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but we have the free gift of being accepted by God. The sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, who? Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible leads us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says just as Adam sinned, and it began this, this, this plague of sin for all of mankind, Jesus was righteous, died for us, so now we have the ability to be righteous because of what Jesus did for us. So let's look at the truth of God's word. 2 Timothy, back to 2 Timothy. Verses 16 and 17 says, All scriptures inspired by God is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Most Bible teaching churches... They believe in the authority, like here at New Hope, we believe in the authority of God's word. 
both Old Testament and New Testament. We believe that it is inspired. We'll talk about that here in a minute, what that means. That it's infallible, which means it's without contradiction or any error at all. And by the way, people have tried for centuries to discredit God's word, to prove that it's not true, to even eliminate it. Dictators, rulers, countries have tried to eliminate God's word, and yet it stands. It stands. It is superior to all human authority, God's word. There's a few things about God's word that I want us to look at that we see in this text from Paul to Timothy. And the first one is this, and it's in your notes. The Bible is inspired. This word literally means God breathed. It means God breathed. It's inspired. Yes, the Bible was written by humans, by people with their own personalities and their own slants, all of that. But God guided their pen. It is God breathed. They did not speak what they wanted to speak. They did not write what they wanted to write. It wasn't their own flesh that was writing. The Bible makes it very clear that this is God breathed. God inspired it. God directed it. God led them to write what they wrote. It's inspired. The Greek, it's literally breath. God breathed it. Matter of fact, Timothy, or excuse me, Peter says the same thing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Because of that experience, we have a greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. This is speaking of the Old Testament. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp, a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in our hearts. Above all, verse 20, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding. It wasn't how smart the prophet was or how educated the prophet was. It didn't come from their own understanding. But Peter says, or from any human initiative. In other words, this isn't something that they just decided to do one day. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God, not from themselves. They were inspired. God breathed this into them and guided their hand as they wrote the Holy Scriptures. Jesus told us in Matthew 4 when he was being tempted that it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, what word comes out of the mouth of God? What has God breathed? The Holy Scriptures. His word. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You want to hear God speak to you? You want to know uh, how to be made right with God? You want to know what pleases God? You want to know what God wants? It's in His word. The scriptures. Number two, the Bible is like a mirror. The Bible is like a mirror. The Bible gives us a view into ourselves, our sinful nature, my separation from a holy God. Paul says that the Bible is beneficial for rebuke and correction and for straightening us out. The Bible lets us know that in and of ourselves, I cannot be made right with a holy God. 
The Bible says that all my righteousness, all of our righteousness, are as filthy rags in the sight of God. Ephesians tells us that our salvation can never be as a result of our works or our deeds. Ephesians tells us that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And so the Bible's like a mirror. It lets us know who we are, the real us that maybe not everybody sees. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says the word of God is alive. So this book that you have is living. God's word is living. It's not just a bunch of words in an ancient book talking about ancient stories. The Bible is living. It is alive. The word of God is alive and it's powerful. That's, in the Greek, it's dynamite, dunamis. It's explosive, it's powerful. It's living, it's alive, it's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked, exposed before his eyes, and he's the only one to whom we are accountable. You know, it always amazes me when I'm out talking to people after church, how many times people will come up to me and say, gosh, what you said spoke right to me. It's like you were talking just to me. Have you ever felt like that? I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the good, the bad, and the ugly for the most part. But isn't it amazing how when we open up God's word and me trying to be led by the Holy Spirit to speak what the Lord has asked me to preach on, isn't it amazing how God can take the words and just fit them like a puzzle right into our life? That's an amazing thing when God does that. The Bible creates a self-awareness in us and an understanding that I can't be made righteous before a holy God by my own good deeds alone. Number three, the Bible teaches us how to be made right with a holy God. This is so important. Paul says it's profitable for training in righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. How can I be in right standing as a fallible, sinful human being? How can I be made right with a perfect, holy God? How is that even possible? Well, we know it's not possible because of how good I am or all the good deeds that I can line up and say, hey, God, look at all the good things I've done. That's not the measuring stick. That's not the measuring stick. He says it's profitable for training in righteousness. The Bible is our training manual for life. It's our roadmap to God's will for our lives. I took a shooting test yesterday. I was nervous. I was scared. I'm not a professional, man. I, you know, I used to hunt some, but I haven't been hunting in a while. I took a shooting test. And when I got there... You know, you take a class, all this stuff, and then, and, and then you take your test. And what they do is they put these targets out at a shooting range. And you have to hit a certain spot on the target a certain amount of times in order to pass. That's the standard. That's the qualification. You have to do that. Could you imagine if I would have said, you know, I have my own standards. 
if I can load my gun and shoot it in that direction, I'm good. No, you have to hit a specific spot, a specific area on this target a certain amount of times. If you miss, you don't pass. No, 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 no. I don't, you know, I don't agree with that. That's outdated. I mean, no. I think I should be able to do 20 push-ups and qualify. Or better yet, better yet, we have an amazing security team here at New Hope. Military, law enforcement, they shoot all the time in ranges. I'm going to take, take Alex with me. I'm going to take one of our security people with me, and they're going to shoot for me. The guy would kick me out. Because I don't set the standard, they do. Does that make sense? And so when we say, God, well, if I do this, or if I do that, or if I do that, I think I'm good. God's saying, it doesn't matter what you think. I set the standard. And what I'm saying is that you can hit the target 20 out of 20 times. You can hit the target a million out of a million times. That doesn't impress me. Because you are not what I need to redeem you. And so what God did was he became flesh. He lived a sinless life and Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again. And now what we do is we place our trust, we accept what was done on our behalf. So it was like me taking our security team with me to the test. By the way, I passed. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's like me taking the security team with me and taking the test, and I get the passing grade. It's like you took the test, I get the A. Jesus ran the race, I get the gold medal. You see, the life that he lived qualified him for the death that he died, and the death that he died qualifies us for the life that he lived. You see, we are not the standard. God is not saying, God does not say, you need to redeem yourself. I sent my only begotten son that's how you're made right with me, by accepting and trusting in what he did for me. All your righteousness, all your good deeds, you hitting the target 10 out of 10 times, that doesn't, I, that, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you place your trust and your faith in the standard and in the provision that I've provided for you. Does that make sense? So the Bible teaches us how to be made right with God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It teaches us truth. It teaches us about sin, about forgiveness, about perseverance, about God's plan. Listen, you can be a Christian and rarely read your Bible. You can. But I don't believe that you can be a healthy Christian and rarely read your Bible. I'm praying for revival here at New Hope next year. I'm praying that God does a work in our lives where we are in his word like never before. Maybe you've never read the Bible. Maybe you've never spent much time in God's word. I will tell you right now, it is living, it is powerful, it will transform your life if you will get in the Bible like never before. Will you pray for this series? Father, thank you so much for your word. 
It is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is dynamic. It is life-changing. God, we cannot read your book and not be transformed. Because it is God-breathed. It is what you want us to know about life, about you, about how to get to heaven, about how to be successful in life, about fulfilling your purpose, about doing exactly what you put us here on this earth to do. God, I believe everything is spiritual. Our jobs, our families, every decision, everything we do is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And so God, help us to not live this life with our own ingenuity, our own knowledge, our own education, our own information, but help us to be led by your word, that wisdom that can only come from your word. God, I pray for revival in our church, that we'd have hundreds and hundreds of people that are in your word like never before. I believe it'll transform this church. I believe it'll transform homes. I believe that it'll transform this community. God, I pray for revival, that we would be in your word like never before. And I know that it can be intimidating. But God, it's like learning a new language. The more we do it, the more it becomes familiar to us. So help us, even if we don't feel like we're getting anything out of it at at, at the beginning, even if it doesn't make sense, we just keep persevering. We keep reading, keep reading. And trust that you're going to speak and you're going to make things known to us. You give us understanding. Lord, bless this series. Bless each family here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes.